Luke chapter 9 on your Bible, electronic device. After we read the scripture this morning, I'll just ask you to leave it open if you would there. Anybody ready for the Word of God? Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he, being Jesus, said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me, or allow me, first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, and go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray God's blessing and anointing over his word and his servant today and our ears to receive. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you right now. Thanking you for the Word of God that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I am sincerely in faith believing that somebody's going to get a prompting today. Somebody's going to get clearer direction. Someone is going to receive conviction about calling today. God, you're going to speak to the hearts of the people that are gathered in this room, that are watching this service online. God, you're going to minister to them through your Spirit. I thank you, I praise you for what you are going to accomplish and what you're going to fulfill. We give all glory and honor to you. Honor this, thy servant, with your anointing. Anoint your word. May they both be used to touch the hearts of your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tony. A church in Eastern Europe, about 100 people attend this church. They are having service. And just after worship and prayer time, all of a sudden bursting through the doors are about a dozen communist soldiers with machine guns surrounding the flock of a hundred strong. They demanded, the intruders did, that those that didn't believe in that religion or were unwilling to stand by their faith, that they were to exit as quickly as possible. There was a short pause and then there was silence. And then about half of the folks that were part of that congregation exited. When those 50 folks had gone, there was this sudden eerie feeling and silence that remained over the 50 people in the room as they pondered in fear what their fate would be. They, however, were pleasantly surprised 
when the communist soldiers pulled off their mask and said, we are believers and we want to worship with you. We just wanted to get rid of the hypocrites first. Friends, God never promised that this would be comfortable. God never in His Word promised that this would be convenient. And some, including myself, would argue that the difference between those who stayed and those who left is one word, Lordship. That's strong. But is it too radical to say that those who left didn't have Jesus as the center of their life? Tough to hear, maybe hard to ingest, but I'm telling you, this loyalty thing with Jesus is very serious business. This is not empty words. This is not rambling rhetoric. I stand before you today and ask the question, is it really so far-fetched that in our great country that we would ever look down the barrel of a shotgun because of our faith? But don't you fool yourself today. This society that touts freedom of religion and religious tolerance is getting more and more hostile against the Word of God and the Christians that stand by it. And if you have not settled in your heart that Jesus is not just your Savior, but He is also your Lord and your Master, in the heat of the moment I submit to you, you will take the carnal and fleshly and easy way out. In the first message last week, we addressed some very sobering truths about Jesus being Lord in our personal lives. Some of the things that we shared are very much worth repeating. For example, when Jesus is Lord, you accept His sovereignty and His plan no matter where He leads you. When Jesus is Lord, you put Him in charge of every area of your existence, holding back nothing for yourself. He said... I am a jealous God, and my glory will I not give to another. When Jesus is Lord, you accept responsibility, and you embrace accountability. Some of one of the greatest revelations that the Lord gave me in the message last week to share with you as it relates to the Lordship of Christ is that you understand that when Jesus returns for us, Jesus expects returns from us. Somebody say amen. When Jesus returns for the bride of Christ, he's expecting returns from the bride of Christ. You embrace when you have the lordship of Christ going on that you are, it's time to go from being a consumer to being a contributor. You realize that following Jesus as your Lord is that you, you have to become more a doer of the Word instead of just a hearer of the Word. Can I tell you, I'm grateful for salvation, and I'm thankful that I'm saved, but Him being my Savior is entry level to our relationship. That is not where it's supposed to stop. That is just the launching pad. 
From there, you're supposed to go to lordship. From there, you're supposed to go to him being a master over every part of your existence. In the scripture today, we're going to call these three individuals would-be disciples, which means all of them had the potential to be true followers of Jesus. At the very outset, there's an obvious similarity between these three men that are laid out here in the scripture. What is that obvious similarity? They all called him Lord. Every one of them, all three of the men responded in their dialogue to Jesus and called him Lord. They recognized him more than just being a teacher, a rabbi, or or even royalty. They called him Lord. Based upon the message last week, when you call Jesus Lord, you're not just professing it with your mouth, but you're possessing it with your heart. And the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of people that come to church, in churches in, all across our land, and, they, and their veneer fools people around them, and their facade fools family members around them, and their, their imagery portrays one thing, and they may even allow the words, Lord, 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 to, to roll off of their tongue like honey dripping from the honeycomb. But here's what we always need to know. The heavenly Father knows the consistency or inconsistency between what we profess and what we possess. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, he said it very clearly. Whereas man looks on the outward appearance, God always looks on the heart. Can someone say amen? So the first we will call today the, the hasty. The hasty would-be disciple. He's a high-energy early adopter. You find it here. He's the first one that said, Lord, I will go with you wherever you go. He's probably, there's a group of people standing around, and he's, he's caught up in the moment. He said, Jesus, I'll travel. Wherever you travel, I will travel. Wherever you sleep, I'm going to sleep. Whatever crusade and revival that you run, you can count on me being there right on, uh, uh, right on the front row. Wow to those people standing around. They're all going, man, that guy's something else, boy. He's, they're impressed with the words that are coming forth from him. And he, he calls Jesus Lord. It's impulsive. Jesus sees right through it. He's joyous and, and he's happy and he's excited, but he has no depth about him. And so when the Lord reminds him that he don't know where he's going to lay his head down for his next night's sleep, it seems like things turn on a dime. I tell you, I love those folks. Folks, uh, they're, they're in the body of Christ. They're, they're folks in, in every church, not just in this church, but in, in every church. They're folks who refuse to count the cost. And unfortunately, the American church culture has, is catering to these folks because the American church culture has turned on a dime toward cheap grace and, and hyper grace. Pray a prayer, but don't change your life. And it's full of deception and it's full of lies. And it leaves people deceived and lost. I'm telling you today, this is one preacher standing before you that will never deceive you. I will always give you the truth. And I want you to know, if you serve Jesus, the cost of discipleship is the cost of lordship. And the cost of lordship is completely sold out to Jesus in every single area of your life. There is no compartment 
you get to hold for yourself. It all belongs to the Lord. When he redeemed you and set you free, he set you free, heart, soul, mind, and spirit. You completely belong to Jesus. Somebody give the Lord praise. How many are away from the Lord today? Because they had no depth, because they bought into cheap grace with no substance. And when life or the enemy or other people came against them, they lacked any depth to them. And suddenly they became defeated. But praise God, I made up my mind a long time ago that, uh, that, that I was going, whether I was on a mountain or in a valley, I made a commitment. I counted the cost. I've consented. I consecrated myself to follow Jesus. And I am determined. I'm going to follow him all the way to the end. If it costs me everything, every time I've got, if it costs me every family member, if every family member in my immediate and extended family turn their back on Jesus tomorrow, I will not back up. I will not capitulate. I will serve him with everything that is within me because he's not just my redeemer. He is my Lord. Maybe this this would-be disciple Maybe he thought as others, including the disciples, thought. Maybe he thought a palace was in his future. There was many of them believed that the Lord was going to set up an earthly kingdom, was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And maybe this fellow thought by his quick response, maybe I can just be a cupbearer to the new king who's about to take over. Maybe I can be a captain of his army. Can I tell you, Christianity is much more popular today than it used to be. Did you know it's more popular to be charismatic and Pentecostal than it was 20 and 30 and 40 years ago? There are several of you sitting in this room today that remember what it was like to be Pentecostal when it was, quote, behind the railroad tracks. Some of you have heard that, that term where, where people would make fun of you and throw bottles at you, and, and they, would, they would always just uh, criticize the, the charismatic, spirit-filled believers. But can I tell you, there are th- times of change. We're no longer beyond, behind the railroad tracks. We've kind of come of age. There are, quote, hundreds of millions of spirit-filled believers that, that are no longer where we're kind of into the forefront. The two fast, two of the three fast fastest growing denominations in the world today are spirit-filled denominations. People are looking for, they're looking beyond shank bone, dead, dry religion, and they're looking for a place where they can lift their hands, and they're looking for a place where they can, my God, I feel them, where they can feel the Holy Ghost, and God can touch them, and nobody's going to scorn and scowl at them if they walk the aisles like we did last Sunday. They're not going to, nobody's going to get down on them if they decide to do a little jumping and a little dancing during praise and worship. They're not worried about the, I tell you, people are looking. They're leaving the nominal church. They're saying there's something different about them Pentecostal people. There's something different about them charismatic people. And I'm telling you, I'm glad that I was part of it from the day that I was born. I owe my mother and father a great debt of gratitude. I didn't have to come from shank bone dead dry religion. I've been in all of my days and I give God praise for it. But having said that, don't you ever forget the words of Jesus. If you will be my disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after me. It is still complete surrender. 
when you follow Jesus, good things are going to happen to you. When you follow Jesus, bad things are going to happen to you. But your journey with the Lord is not based upon the things outside of you, but how much lordship he has inside of you. That was a hasty disciple. The second, we'll call him the procrastinating would-be disciple. The potential was there. Now watch. In the first one, the first one inquired of Jesus. But the second one, the Lord called to preach. Jesus turned from the first one and said to the second one, follow me. Stay with me. He saw his desires, his intentions, his longings, and so he put him to the test. I'd say that the second one that Jesus called was called to preach. In fact, you can pick up on that even in the Scripture. Now, let me just stop here and tell you something. There are those who preach that God never called. And they wonder why they're not being fruitful. I pastored a church in my past that when my wife and I went there, 15 to 20 people in the congregation were credentialed ministers. It was about 10% of the church. It was not fun for a pastor to have 20 credentialed ministers in his congregation. There wasn't a whole lot of fun about it. Called? They were called. They said they were called. But there was no fruit. Made me wonder about their calling. And then there are others sitting in church or at home with a God call to preach, and they're still wrapped up in the dead things of this world. Jesus knew this man. He knew he had the essence. He had the substance. This would-be disciple would do great things in the kingdom of God. <laughs> he did not get a prophetic word. He got called by God in the flesh. Did y'all did y'all did y'all see that? Go and preach preach the kingdom of God. God calls him right then and there. 
The moment, the moment of truth has arrived. He says, follow me. But the man says, first allow me to go and bury my father, and then I will come and I will follow you. Now, you think Jesus is being harsh. You think he's speaking words like the cutting of a knife because he said, let the dead bury their dead, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. Man, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Well, sometimes in Scripture you have to have a little cultural context. In Palestine, G. Campbell Morgan, and this will help you understand, G. Campbell Morgan was traveling in Palestine many years back, and he needed a guide in very unfamiliar territory. So he found a, an Arab sheik, and an attempt was made to get this young guide to go with him on his journey. But the young guide refused to go with Brother Morgan. Brother Morgan noticed that in the door of the tent of the sheik sat an old aging father. And the young guide said to Brother Morgan, Sir, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now, Brother Morgan's thinking, well, the man's not dead. He's sitting in the door of the tent. I just need a guide in the area in unfamiliar territory. <laughs> but the young man was saying, he was expressing his devotion that as long as his father was living, he could not leave him. Now, you stay with me. Maybe the father here had died. Maybe the father here was still alive. Maybe there would be at least seven days of funeral and mourning, which was cultural in that day. Then there had to be the settling of the estate and the dividing of the will. All these are noble and earthly things. But I'm telling you, we need some reminders here today. And the reminder that we need today is that we were created to bring glory to Almighty God. And we are created to fulfill the divine purpose of Jesus. And while it is necessary to remind us that this is the Lord that told us to honor our father and our mother and would never uh, advocate disrespect to our parents. We must not lose sight that our mission, our calling, the reason for our existence is a mission that absolutely nothing or no one must hinder us from. If he's truly Lord of our life, if he's truly Lord of your life, no parent's going to get in the way. If he's truly Lord of your life, no sister or brother or spouse or son or daughter, if he's truly Lord of your life and the calling becomes your number one priority and what I must do I must do today for night is coming when I won't be able to do it anymore that's lordship I didn't say this was comfortable and you won't hear it in a lot of congregations but it's the word our love for our family, our love for our family, moms and dads and wives and husbands and children must never weaken 
our love for the Lord. Be careful if you idolize your children over Jesus. Be careful. You better make sure Tommy and Susie know that they're not more important than Jesus is. Y'all smile at me out there. Y'all still out there? I don't know, Pastor. That's, that's, that's some strong stuff. Well, the Apostle Peter's words, they resonate this morning. Because he said to the Lord one day, he said, we have left all to follow you. When he went out on his three-and-a-half-year evangelistic tour of all of Palestine and Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea, those disciples, they left their families and followed Jesus. <laughs> this is what I know about lordship. Boy, Lord's really just, he's just really messing me up these days. But if he's going to be Lord of your life, you know you have to live in this world. But you live for the agenda of another world. That's truth. If he's truly going to be Lord, you don't do body living. Body living. And I know we got to take care of these, these temples. We got to take care of these temples. I had a physical this week. I hate physicals. With a smile on her face, the doctor raked me over the coals. Now, for all you good folks that have fed and fattened my family up the last couple of weeks, I was quick to pass the blame on to you. <laughs> body living. How many believers focus more on body living than soul living? We do everything we can to take care of this temple. When the Lord tells us that soul living has to be a higher priority than body living. Body living is living each day simply cleaving closely to the dust from where you came and to where you shall return. But soul living is when your soul, your heart, your spirit want to soar so much higher to eternal things. And it can happen when Jesus becomes Lord of your life. But you had the hasty man, and then you had the procrastinating man, and then finally, another would-be disciple had the potential. We'll call him the sentimental disciple. He says, Lord, I will follow you when? after. I will follow you, but first, 
I will follow you, but let me go home and bid farewell to my family. Let me take one more last look at the neighborhood, one more hug from the dog, one more meal with my family, one more goodbye. Jesus knew everything about these three men. There's no doubt he knew this one was very impressionable and very sentimental. (laughs) And so one more time with words that seemed like they cut like a knife, he says, you know what? No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me talk to single people here for a moment. I feel prompting in my spirit. If you are seeking for Jesus to be Lord in your life, you better make sure that the person that you're dating and engaged to and planning to marry is seeking for Jesus to be Lord in their life. Sentimentalism has cost people fulfilling the calling of God upon their lives. This is not a calling among many. This is not a smorgasbord where you can choose some and reject some. This is, this is calling right here, right now. No time to waste. I was down. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I, I snuck down to down in the community life center the other day. And Kelly didn't know I was listening to her as they were speaking to the after-school kids that they tutor. Twelve or thirteen kids that they pour into four afternoons a week that they share the love of God with without reservation, that they share, share gospel with, share Bible with. And I'm standing there listening. A few moments went by. I went back upstairs, didn't want to interrupt. And I came back down a little while later, and I was standing there talking to Joe, talking about vision and passion and mission, city of refuge, making a difference in the lives of kids right here in our community. I mean, eternal implications. Eternal implications. But here's what I want you to get. Husband and wife are on the same page. I don't know, maybe there's some couples here who need, need to go home and have a talk. Could be that the wife wants lordship and the husband only wants saviorship. Come on now. But if you really want God to do something significant in your family, then as a couple, you come together and you say, you know what, no matter what anybody else does in our extended family, we're going to show our children, we're going to show our family that Jesus is not just our Savior, but He is in fact the Lord of our home. He's the Lord of our ministry. He's the the Lord of who we are. It's right here. It's right now. The calling. The calling. Work while it is day, for night comes when no man can work. Jesus told his own parents at 12, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Well, I've, 
in 28 years of pastoring, I've had people that tell me that God has a calling upon their life. And you know what? I admired their boldness and tenacity to walk into their family's living room and say, God has called me to do this. God has called me to do that. God has called me to the mission field. Judy, you remember what it was like? And Brad walked into your room and said, God has called me across the pond, across the world. Something wells up inside of us, and we mean well. As family, we don't want to see them go. We're worried about their security. But even amidst the question marks and, and the gentle jabs and, and, and the, the passive ridicule, but they've made up their mind. Well, praise the Lord. They've made up their mind and they walk in that faith over all the sentimental overtures and the pressures of those most dear to their heart because they made up their mind a long time ago. Jesus is not just my Savior. He's my Lord and I'm going to follow Him wherever He leads me. I'm your pastor. I'm honored to be your pastor, but I know that there are miserable people sitting in this room and watching this service online. And the voices of others have been louder than the voices of the Lord. They're significant. Paul put a phrase in the middle of 1 Corinthians, and it says this, all voices have significance. A constant vying for our loyalty. But may the loudest voices in this world never silence the whisper of Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord You have to heed the voice of Jesus above all others, including spouse, child, parent, friend, even pastor. I will not be hasty, but I will follow the Lord. I will not be procrastinating, but I will follow the Lord. I will not be sentimental, but I will follow you, Lord. What I profess, when I say Lord, it's not just going to be the words of my lips. It's going to be the condition of my heart. I'm fighting against church culture this morning. I feel it in my spirit. I'm fighting against church culture this morning. But I, I will stand flat-footed and tell you, if Jesus doesn't have all of you, he doesn't have any of you. That's not me. That's the Bible. Are we perfect? No. There's times that we have to go and we have to pray and say, God, I kind of took over a compartment that really belonged to you. And I'm sorry. See, this lordship has... It has past, present, and future implications. And I want you to get this before we pray. Lordship means you leave the past regardless of the pull of the past. 
Lordship means you seize the moment regardless of the inconvenience. It's not time. Things are not perfectly together, preacher. I can't do what God has called me to do because I've got to have everything in order. Lordship means accepting the future regardless of the cost. That's it. Bow your heads with me. I don't have to ask, is there? Because I know there are. There are people living in the misery of disobedience and failure to total surrender. The flesh is warring against the spirit, and the spirit is warring against the flesh. The Apostle Paul said, when I, when I will to do good, evil is present. There are people in the room that have not surrendered all the compartments of their existence to Jesus. There are people in the room that have not surrendered to the calling that you know God has placed upon your life. People need to pray. There's people that need to pray. You at home, you need to pray. You need to drop to your knees right there at that couch and say, Lord, I'm miserable, and one of the reasons I'm miserable is because I haven't given you all the compartments of my existence. I haven't given you my total self. Is there people in this room you're living in the misery of disobedience because you haven't given total surrender to Jesus. You say, it's time to pray. I need to come and pray. I need to come and pray. Is there a calling upon your life? Hmm. Sweet Spirit of the living God. I will follow you, dear Lord, with everything that is within me. I will follow you. your eyes. Make it your prayer this morning, would you? Oh, yes. 
For I am your Lord that has called you and has chosen you for myself. Fear not for the future. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. Only be obedient to the voice of my spirit as I beckon you to come unto me, saith the Lord. Ah, the Holy Spirit is beckoning some folks this morning. He's beckoning some folks this morning. Some husbands, some dads, some moms, some wives, some couples. He's beckoning. He's not an intruder, but I'm telling you, he's knocking on your door. You know it. Ah. Uh... 